And so I, I want to I talk with you from the Word today uh, about that and, and as it relates to uh, your life and mine. I encourage you, let me encourage you, let me implore you. One of the, one of the uh, secrets, I think, of growing in God, one of the secrets of thinking past lunch in God is to write things down. It's to write things down. I, I used to, when I was younger, I didn't, I could remember everything. How many of you used to be that way? When I was younger, you could tell me one time, and man, I had it. And then as I got older, and then I found out that I can't go past three things when I go to the grocery store, or I'll forget one. Give me four things, I'll come back with three. Give me five things, I might come back with three. So you got to write stuff down. And in your walk with God, one of the things that you'll discover is that God is going to teach you 20 years from now about this moment. But if you don't write that down, if you don't write that word down, if you don't write that thing down, then you won't have it 20 years from now and you will miss a God moment because God wanted to, you to get some mileage out of the miracle. He wanted you to get some mileage out of the moment. He wanted to teach you. So how many of you are learning that, uh, that it takes maybe 30 or 40 years to understand something? You know, and some of y'all are saying, I ain't got 30 years to understand it because I'm only 20. Then learn from the people that got 30 or 40 years. This is a house of fathers and sons. This is a house of mothers and daughters. This is a house where we do relationship cross-generationally. It's a house where it's going to take three generations to accomplish the vision. That it's not going to, well, when is it going to happen? I keep hearing that about Legacy Springs out there. We've been working on it since 2014. When is it happening? When's the building going to go up? I had one guy that came up in this house. You ain't built that thing yet. Yeah, he said, you know, I said, man, man. Man. And sometimes when you know you're exercising patience is when the ministry of slap still wants to rise up in you. <laughs> Whoa. The ministry of slap. No, uh, patience, patience, patience. You know, we're on God's timetable. If we didn't need God's help, we would have figured something out our own selves. But guess what? You, what you do in your own flesh today is going to fall apart tomorrow. So you got to, that's right, lest the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, right? Woo, it's a good atmosphere to preach in today, but I only got 30 minutes. So in study, in preparation for this, and, and uh, you know, you, I have a commitment. My commitment to you all was not to, to preach politics from this pulpit. My commitment, and it's not just to you, but to the Lord. But what I have been discerning, what I have been understanding is that understanding the activity of God in our nation is helpful to help us understand how far we've come from God. So uh, as I began to do some research for the, the Esther passage, I began, I, I tripped across a passage from Isaiah chapter 33, um, and uh, I'll get into it in just a minute. But in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, our founders found the three branches of government. And it's in Isaiah 33, 22. And I'll read it in just a minute. But what's amazing to me about that is this is what can happen when you look back. This is what can happen when you trace things and you say, oh, oh, look at that. And so I began doing some research. But as we get into this idea of the sovereignty of God, 
uh, Isaiah chapter three, uh, 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, it is he who will save us. Do you see the judicial branch, the legislative branch, and the executive branch in that text? That's where it came from. And the founders liked the latter part, it is he who will save us. In, in, in uh, England, they would say, God save the king, God save the queen. But the founders understood that if God was God, if he was really God, then you could only put your trust in him. And he will save us. Do you see that? So uh, in this uh, passage, let's, let's go back in. Uh, I skipped over Psalm 89, and then we're going to read Esther 7. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. If you recognize that the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice, that in order for anything to come to pass that has the, the fingerprints of God on it, righteousness and justice is going to be in that zone. In other words, God is doing the thing that he is. Righteousness and justice is everywhere that God goes. Um, the title of my message comes from the tail end of our declaration, or not our declaration, our, our Pledge of Allegiance. And it reminded me of a story, of uh, this a family story. My brother-in-law, Daniel, when he was about four years old, um, he was the youngest in the family, and all the rest of the kids had gone to school. And so Delora worked at, uh, uh, she worked at uh, the laundromat. And so she would take in laundry and do laundry for people. They would come and drop their laundry off, and she would do the laundry. And, and so, uh, so uh, Daniel, about four years old, had to, uh, you know, he had to spend time at the laundromat his days. When you're four years old, hanging out at the laundromat's not the favorite place to be. And uh, it's not as bad as church, though. Right, kids? Yeah, some of you in here today. And uh, so, so, uh, so Daniel, being the industrious, entrepreneurial young man, uh, he would crawl around on that dirty laundromat floor, and he would look under all of the washers to see if he could find any stray quarters that had gone out of somebody's hands, right? And uh, so he, would, he was always looking for quarters and dimes and everything. But having gone through the entire laundromat to see if he could figure out uh, if there were any stray quarters that he could find, and, you know, he would, he would find all those, and there weren't any. And so then he decided that he would uh, go uh, see if he could extract some quarters from any uh, wanderers in. Anybody that came in there that came in to do their laundry, he would walk up to them and he'd say, I can do the Pledge of Allegiance. And they'd say, oh good, really, that's good. And then he would recite the, old, the whole Pledge of Allegiance, get to the end, and he'd say, with liberty and justice for all. He'd hold out his hand, waiting to get a little offering right there, see if he could get a quarter, a dime. Worked, I think, because now he's got his own business. So he's, that was probably the start of his entrepreneurial estate. Justice for all. It's a concept that a little child might not really comprehend, but it's an aspirational goal of our, of our nation, isn't it? Justice for all. Every person, regardless of their color, regardless of their background, regardless of how much money they may have or what side of the track they grew up on, justice for all. 
This is, the, this is in the heart of God, we know, because righteousness and justice are the, the cornerstones of his throne. They're what his throne is founded on. And so in this passage in Esther chapter 7, if you never heard the name of God mentioned, you, you read the passage and realize what happens. So in Esther chapter 7, Esther has set up a dinner, uh, a meal for them to come together. And she knew uh, ahead of time, she had already told the king, there's going to be a question, a petition that I have and a request. And so he'd been waiting on this and he'd been waiting on this meal. And it was a setup because Haman was the, the guy that was wanting to take out all of the Jews, 15 million Jews. He'd already paid the money. He'd already, he, the, the contract had already been taken out on the people. And, and so this was the one last moment that anything could change. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. And then Queen Esther answered, If I've found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who has dared to do such a thing? Can you hear Haman gulp right about that time? Yeah. Esther said, the adversary and enemy is this vile Haman. And then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. And the king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining, and the king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, mouth they covered Haman's face. Who was they? All the attendants, the attendants that were standing there with him. They covered Haman's face. When Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house. He had it made for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king, the king said, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Now let me break down to you this, this thought of what's going on in this, the circumstance right there. If you understand the way, uh, the, way the, the law was written back in this day, the king was judge, he was lawgiver, and he was also the monarch. He, had, he held all three roles. And so Haman was afraid because as soon as he walked outside, he knew that the judge had already spoken. When he stepped out of that room, as soon as he came back in, he knew that his life was over. It was as good as dead. The how hadn't been figured out. See, the king didn't know about the gallows at that moment. But when he comes back in, that all three branches of, of justice had been executed right then. The, when, when the king spoke, it was law. 
The king owned everything. Everything belonged to him. And so all three elements were in play and, and Haman understood that he had been found out and he knew that his life was over. You know, your life and mine, when we understand how God works in the world, we can trace through this. How did this situation turn from innocent people who are gonna be put to death by a wicked man? How did it flip? Well, if you understand the story, not just the storyline, but the meta story of how God is working in the world, God is our judge. God is our lawgiver. God is our king. And what God did in that moment was he, he brought all three of those elements together in Esther chapter 7 and ruled in, in favor of a righteous people. In favor of an innocent people, and he judged the wicked in that moment. I want you to see that this is how God works in the earth. And that when you and I encounter things that are unrighteous, when we encounter uh, justice not operating the way it should, we have a right to know because we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a right as children of God to say, this is not how it ought to be. Because the king is ruling on the inside of me, and I understand what righteousness looks like, and I understand what righteous laws look like, and I understand what justice looks like, and this is not it. And we ought to use every benefit, every advantage that we have in our government, i.e., we need to vote. Oh, that was a very weak amen. It's, you know... There, there's politics and, and, and then there's voting. You don't have to be uh, all about politics to vote and let your voice be heard. There's politics and then there's prayer. Amen? So, so should you get involved politically? If you feel inclined to do so, do so. But you had better pray and you had better vote. Right? Because those things are made available for us if we want to see change. If we, if we want to af affect our world uh, in, in righteousness, these are things that must be done. Right? Um, so let's, let's get into the, the text here. And let's just talk about uh, these elements uh, as it relates to how the, the Lord, the Lord is our judge. His judgment is based on complete knowledge and impartiality since he is no respecter of persons. God's character is the gold standard. If you were to elect a judge, you would elect a judge based on their track record. You would elect a judge based on their knowledge of the law. You would elect a judge based on whether or not uh, their uh, their their characteristics had been, uh, had been stable, uh, that they hadn't been sidetracked by some agenda or another agenda. Um, but where do, if you were to trace it all back, where does it go to? It goes all the way back to God's character. Perfect justice is one who understands the motivations of people, that understands the, uh, how people are made, how they're wired up, how things can happen. And in, in total, in impartial, in, in, uh, you know, a totally impartial judge, you can't get any higher than God. God is the righteous judge. This is what Genesis 18 says. Far be it from you to teach, uh, to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will not the judge of all the earth do right? 
Abraham didn't have a Bible, but he understood this about God. God is a righteous judge. Abraham didn't, uh, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of things that could nurture his understanding of God, but he knew that God was the judge of all the earth. Romans chapter 2 uh, talks about God's judgment. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you, pass judge, you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Friends, in our, in our world today, it's easy to have an opinion about everybody else's opinion. But can I tell you, God's justice and God's judgment is righteous. In other words, he doesn't miss it. He doesn't make mistakes. He isn't one way one day and one day the next day. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if, and if, you, want, uh, if you want proper judgment, then you need to align yourself with him. You need to align yourself with the way he sees things and how he does things. Um, you know, let, me, let me share with you. Uh, a little bit of history, going back to me not being politically uh, political, but wanting to understand history a little better. A few years ago, I was handed a book uh, called The 5,000-Year Leap. And it's a, a, it's a history book uh, that talks about the 28 principles that the founders used when they established the Constitution. Um, it's really good reading. I would highly recommend it. Um, written by a, a law professor, and uh, and you know this law professor has written textbooks on law and the making of America, a lot of lot of different things. But uh, so what he does is he goes back and and he he has the source documents for what the founders were arguing about, what they were talking about, what they were thinking about at the time. And you know, our, many of our founders um, were uh, were very were young, were mid twenties, uh, were early thirties when a lot of these things were happening. Happening. But th this is a, these are five points that Benjamin Franklin said uh, need to be taught. These are fundamental points to be taught in the schools in America. Okay, uh, five points here. There exists a creator who made all things and mankind should recognize and worship him in school. Number two, the creator has revealed a moral code of behavior for happy living which distinguishes right from wrong. Number three, the creator holds mankind responsible for the way they treat each other. Number four, all mankind live beyond this life. And number five, in the next life, mankind are judged for their conduct in this one. Isn't that amazing? Benjamin Franklin said, these are the suggestions. These are the, when you set up the schools, the morality ought to be taught from this basis. And they taught about uh, the importance of uh, what they called natural law, which was naturally observable from our world. And, uh, and, and how that there is a, because there's a design, there's a designer, because there's a creation, there's a creator, and they anchored it back, and morality was taught from that basis. So, uh, so the Lord is our judge, and his judgment is, is based on complete knowledge. Why? Because he created us. He created us. Anybody ever found yourself in a situation where you actually had to break out an owner's manual? Oh, I just hate that. I said, how come I can't figure this out? Because somebody smarter than me built that thing. 
And I had to break out the owner's manual to figure out how it was made. Oh, oh, that's what that thing's for. Oh, all those extra parts I always had left over when I rebuilt something. Oh, the Lord is the judge. He's the one that made us. He knows how we function. Number two, the Lord is our lawgiver. God's law is based on his love. Jesus fulfilled the law of love and calls us to walk in his ways. Uh, kids, uh, can I just tell you, I know that your mom's and dad's rules just are just terrible. <laughs> They're just, oh, why do they have to have, why do you have to go to bed at a certain time? Anybody want to change your bedtime? If you could change your bedtime, would you change your bedtime? You know, why do you have to eat a certain way? Why do you have to wash your hands before you come to the table? Why do you have to do all these things? You know, the, the laws, the rules in the house. Oh, what is that about? Let me tell you. If they didn't care, you wouldn't get any of that. If they didn't care, they would let you run amok. You could just run the house. You could do it however you wanted to do it. Problem is, they care for you. So they give you rules. It's not just because they don't want to spend all that money on braces when you ain't brushing your teeth and they're all going to rot out by the time you're 18. They don't want to spend that money and throw that. No, brush your teeth. Why? Because a long life and teeth that, that match kind of go together. <laughs> right? You know, all of these basic little things that kids like, oh, why do, why do I have to? Why do I have to? And then, like I said, you don't understand until you're 30. Whoa, now I know. Because the word tells us in Hebrews, I shared it the other week, God disciplines those that he what? Loves. God, what's discipline? Discipline is aligning your life for a sustainable future. And so God see, understands sustainably. He knows the end from the beginning. And so when he disciplines us, it's because he knows what's coming. And moms and dads get clued in on that a little bit. Oh, don't play in the, don't play in the road. That's a sustainable lifestyle. <laughs> right? And so, you know, so the Lord is our lawgiver and he calls us, he calls us to walk in his ways. Things that we think ought to be in alignment sometimes are not in alignment. Yeah, let, let, me, let me read to you. This is, um, this is from 1 Thessalonians. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Now, moms and dads know that when kids come and say, hey, my, my, uh, my best friend gets to go out and hang out and do this and do that and spend out and, you know, be out late at night. And mom and dad, what do you say? Well, I'm not their dad. I'm not their mom. That's okay for them. What are you doing? You're laying down the law. Why? Because you know that bad things can happen. And not can, bad things do happen. That's right. Right? And, uh, and so what, what do they know? And, and so here's, here's, uh, 
here's the thing that, uh, that you and I in our culture that, that pushes back on our culture. Not in passionate lust like the heathen do who do not know God. In, in that, in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as, you have all, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You know, so when we look at this text and we, and we say, we, and we just echo the text, this is why God wrote it down. He wrote it down so that, to get the preacher off the hook. He wrote it down because I can say, I, I didn't write that. God wrote that. If I say, you've got to live a pure life and you can't live uh, a sexually immoral life, and the word tells us in Corinthian, boy, the Corinthian word is tough, right? If that person calls himself a believer and they're sexually immoral, don't even eat with them. Ouch! Like, I can't go, I just can't go have lunch. Well, I didn't, I didn't write it, but I can read, Right? Mark Twain said, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that concerns me. It's the things that I do understand that concern me the most. This is simple, but it's not easy in a, in a world that we live in, right? God has got to be your lawgiver and mine. God has got to put his law on the inside of our hearts, and, uh, and we need to walk that out. This is uh, what the word tells us here. And I'll go quickly. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Romans 13, 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Can you track with me on this whole thing that he just said, I've summarized the Ten Commandments in these verses. Can you track with me that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself? That summarizes is the Ten Commandments. Here's the reality though. You and I can't have a relationship with a text, but we can have a relationship with a God who wrote the text. And it's only the person of the Holy Spirit that can get us to shut down those, uh, those elements of our flesh that just want what they want, that they want, that they want, that they want. But it's only the person of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us that can help us to live accordingly. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can walk in righteousness. That's the good news. You can't do it on your own, but God hasn't held anything back from you either. And he's given you everything you need for life and for godliness through your knowledge of him. And so when you and I recognize that he's the lawgiver on the inside, all of a sudden, guess what? You know, yes, I recognize we have a courthouse. Yes, I recognize we have speed limit signs. Yes, I recognize all those things. But you know what? The lawgiver's on the inside of me. And I uphold those things. I don't just turn around and violate them because I want to. Because the Holy Spirit's on the inside of me. I uphold what it is that God has established. Lastly this morning. The Lord is our king. God alone is entitled to ownership and he's entitled to rule the earth. Psalm 47, 7. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise. 
Psalm twenty-two, twenty-eight: for, God, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Zechariah 14, 9. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. Now this is Zechariah prophesying about the verse that I'm going to read right now. Verses uh, uh, chapter 19 of Revelation. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is King. God is king. He is the king of all the earth. Can I just tell you that kingship means that God has it all. He owns it all. If you were in a kingdom, you were in the king's domain. That meant that that sheep that was in your pen was his sheep. That meant that that house that you built with your time and your energy, that really belonged to him because it was within his domain. Now, kings would understand they needed to keep, uh, they needed to keep their subjects, uh, you know, in favor, and so they would charge tax in order to do certain things, but, but ultimately, you didn't own anything. We live in a country that's much different than that. We think much differently in our minds as to ownership, but can I tell you that when you say yes to Jesus and you make Jesus Lord, you are calling on the king. And you're saying, I am yours and I belong to you. And everything that I have is yours and it belongs to you. This is why the early church didn't have anything that they called their own. When, when there was a needy person among them, they went and they, they sold what they had to do. They made, they made things work. Why did they make things work? Because they recognized God owns it all. It all belongs to him. And we're just stewards of it. We're just looking after it for him. Man, can I tell you, I, I, I've got stories. I've got stories of widows in this house. Widows in this house that looked after the needs of this house when we didn't have the money. I've got stories of part of the parking lot being paved by what was left from a, a widow's uh, a life insurance on a, on a husband. I've, I've got stories of motorcycles that are driving all over Nepal from widows that donated money so that a motorcycle could be purchased so that the gospel could go into Nepal. Can I tell you what? What they understand, they understand God's the king. And they didn't worry about money before. And their husband looked after them. And so when it was time, they said, this is God's money. I want to do something with God's money. What can we do? Man, I've got stories of that. God will look after you. God is your, the one that looks over you. He just, he's looking at you and I to recognize, you know what? God, if you'll be, if you'll be my, if you'll be my judge, then I'll live as though I'm going to today, as though I'm going to stand before the judge one day. 
If you'll be my lawgiver now, I'll order my steps aright so that I can gain a heart of wisdom. And so one day when I stand before you, I will have fulfilled your law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Not real hard to figure it out. And God, I'll live as though everything belongs to you because it already does. I'll live as not though I own it, but rather that you own it and you own me. And I'm yours. This can happen through the person of Jesus Christ. This didn't happen in the Old Testament. They had the law written down. But Jesus had to come to take sin out of the way. Jesus had to come to take the written code out of the way. He had to make it possible that you and I could approach the living God through his blood. The life of the creature is in his blood. He made it possible that we could now know God as our righteous judge, as our righteous lawgiver, as our king. He made it possible all because of his shed blood, all because of his empty tomb. Come on, let's stand on our feet. Let's give God praise right now. Let's give him praise for how he's done it. Lord, you alone, hallelujah. Isaiah 33, 22. God, the Lord is my judge. The Lord is my lawgiver. The Lord is my king. He will save us. He will save us. Father, forgive us for taking uh, into our own hands the law, into our own hands the issue of justice, into our own hands the stuff that belongs to you. Forgive us for that, Lord. But, but today, we make you judge. We make you lawgiver. We make you king in our own souls, God. We welcome you, Jesus, to speak into every area of our lives that, that, that we have been hanging on to, that we've been clenching on to because we didn't trust you. Come on, church. Sometimes it's a, as Pastor Daniel said earlier, sometimes we're walking in wisdom, but sometimes we're walking in fear. Sometimes we're walking in justice, but sometimes we're hanging on to things with our own hands and saying, I know what needs to happen right here. And the Lord's saying, leave room for my justice. Leave room for my judgment. Man, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is is taking this word and he's dividing it asunder for every person. He's separating it out. Everybody needed a piece of this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I, when I received you, Jesus, I received you as judge and as lawgiver and as king. And though I didn't understand all of those things, you're the same person. They all issue forth from you. And we've exalted you here today. And we just pray right now, Lord, that you would make it real to us. You would show us, Lord, how you want to rule and reign in our lives. You would show us, Lord, how you want us to, uh, to move in with the word of wisdom so that righteous judgment can be issued. And when we need to back away and leave room for what you want to do. Lord, thank you for the example of Esther. Thank you for the example, Lord, of your wisdom in action showing us your activity. Lord, we welcome you to do what you want to do in our hearts today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All over, just 
Just apply that word in prayer right now. All over, online. Just take a moment. I hope you have a pen out. I hope you have uh, some places you can write down what the Holy Spirit's whispering because I just really feel like this is, a, this is one of those moments where, where heaven and earth have, have thinned out, come close together. Holy Spirit's ministering right now. We're puzzled. We're trying to make sense of our world. And what God's saying is, come, come closer to me. You want to find out what justice for all means? I'll show you what it means. I'll show you where it all comes together. I'll show you the heart of where it needs to be in you. Praise God. Praise God. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. God knows what it takes to save you. And he's done what's necessary to save you. And he's waiting for you to confess his name, to call on his name. Maybe today's your day. Maybe you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. But somehow in this message, Holy Spirit touched your heart. Very simple prayer. Let's pray it out loud together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I thank you that you took all of my sin, all of my shame, and the penalty for my sin, and you nailed it to the cross. I thank you, Lord, that when you rose from the grave, you came out in power, and you gave me new life by that resurrection power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.